The cornflowers decorated the dark green field of oats. It looked as if God had gone behind the drill filled with oat seed and had sown cornflowers in between. A little ways up another strip of oats, the oats were filled with daisies. Their yellow and white faces stretched up between the blades of oats toward the morning sun. None of those flowers sit at home and sew on Mama's new Touchtronic Singer sewing machine, but yet I never had an Easter dress that matched the beauty of the freely growing wayside flowers on the farm on which I grew up. But that day, when I was noticing all the wildflowers, the rest of my family wasn't. There was very little gratitude expressed that day on the farm because we were all worried about my brother's broken leg. How could the crop, we raised tobacco, how could the crop be planted, nurtured, and harvested with him unable to work? It had just been the previous year that my father had died and we had managed to get that crop in without our father, but now could we manage to do the next crop? without our brother? How could we be grateful for the beauty all around us when we were so preoccupied with worry and concern? Well, isn't that the case for the church today? We're kind of preoccupied with worry, aren't we? Worry about the economy? Worry that the church has more gray-haired people in it than any other color hair? And I kind of contribute to that a lot these days. Worry that we're spending more time burying committed church members than we are bringing in new families into the church fold. Worrying that fewer and fewer of our young people are biblically literate. Worry about how we're going to take care of an aging church plant. Worry about how we're going to be able to continue the programs and services of the church that have meant so much to us. We are so preoccupied with worry that we somehow lose the capacity to see the abundance that surrounds us, to recognize how affluent we really are, to count our blessings, to be thankful. It's been quite a while since I've addressed the church from the pulpit about stewardship. I have to admit that, Donna. It's been quite a while since I've had this kind of request to come in and talk to the church about stewardship. But my background includes having served as a pastor for 15 years. And so it was my job every year to stand up and talk to the church about how important it is for you to support the ministries of the life of the church. But the problem was, every time I had to do it, it was really clear that my salary was the, the largest percentage percentage of the budget because I always served small little churches and so the pastor's salary was the most and so it was kind of awkward to stand up and talk about this. Part of my time I was a pastor I did it on loan in the United Methodist Church. Uh, they let me they recognized my Baptist credentials and I served uh, Methodist congregations on loan and because of that I got to go to some Methodist clergy meetings I was kind of infiltrating the ranks you know and to learn what do they talk about in Methodist meetings well you know what they talk about they talk about Baptist <laughs> I'm serious I heard it over and over again they talked about Baptist and I was at one of these meetings and the theme of the meeting was stewardship and they said the Baptists, now they know how to tithe. And I was listening. I thought, do they know something I don't know? 
They always were comparing themselves to Baptists like we were the benchmark. You know, I think for all of us who follow Christ, who live in this affluent society in which you and I live, struggle with how much to keep and how much to give away. We all struggle with it. We do. Every time we open our checkbook or pull out that debit card or credit card, we struggle with how much we're supposed to keep and how much we give. And if you didn't catch, I said we all are affluent. And, uh, and, and, and you don't have to go to Zimbabwe or Brazil or Cuba or South Africa to learn that. But if, you, if your church doesn't know it, come go with me to Cuba. Please, I'm looking for partner churches to partner with churches in Cuba. So if you, know, if, if you need a little lesson on how affluent we really are, come go with me. But if you've got a heart for mission and want to go and meet a congregation in Cuba that wants to know people here and have relationships back and forth, I'll sign you up today. You know, all of us who are followers of Christ have heard the admonition to sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. We've all heard that it is harder for one who has riches to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for the camel to go through the eye of a needle. And on top of that, we live in a society that focuses on getting, getting the newest technological gadget, the latest fashion, fancier cars. I mean, our whole economy, our whole, even, and it's becoming the global economy, is based on the idea that people are going to purchase and acquire and get more and more. We are accustomed to fast food on demand, service with a smile, and miracles performed by surgeons in operating rooms. We are ingrained, we have ingrained expectations of more and of success and of some drug or operation to cure our ills so that we can be pain-free. When those things don't occur, it gets difficult to feel grateful because we've kind of grown to expect them. Dr. Glenn Henson speaks in his book called The Reaffirmation of Prayer of an attitude of gratefulness in all circumstances as being necessary for some semblance of health in our society. And I would say it's necessary. It's the bottom line foundation necessary for us in the congregations to have any semblance of health is that we have a gratefulness at the core of who we are as the people of God. But this attitude of thanklessness is kind of universal. I think it is. Or maybe, maybe it has its roots even in our soil. Is it just us or are most human beings like the nine of the ten lepers who did not return to thank Jesus once they were healed? We all have short memories. Short memories of divine grace. However great it is, we have received it. Our, our memories are short term. The greater the gift, sometimes the more we take it for granted, says Dr. Henson in his book. So developing an attitude of gratitude is the foundation of generosity. And it is the foundation that we have to teach our children and we have to make, keep relearning it and relearning it. It doesn't come automatically. If you think about your kids, you don't have to train them to ask for anything, do you? 
just 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 take them into the to any kind of market or any kind of store and they're asking and asking for what they want we don't have to train them to ask but to express thanks we have to train them and we have to practice it and practice it and practice it Richard Foster in his book prayer finding the heart's true home says that thanksgiving praise and adoration these are seldom the first words in our minds or on our lips. What a discipline it would be if every day we began the day and ended the day with the first words on our lips being what we are grateful for. Oh, that how that would change the outlook of our entire day. It would change the outlook of our entire retrospect of the day when we look back. If we, when you put your head in the pillow tonight, try it. What are you grateful for for the day? Let that be the first thing in your mind and see how it might adjust the rest of our attitudes. An act of thanksgiving, says Dr. Henson, is indeed like making a confession of faith. For when we express thanks to God or we voice our praise to God, we are stating our confidence in a loving God who takes care of us or as the choir reminded us, who's always there. This loving God who's always there. So when I look back on my family on that spring day in the tobacco field, I wonder how much confidence we had in that ever-present God that day. And a loving God who takes care of us. If God takes care of such wayside flowers, won't he take care of me, oh, you of little faith? Not long after that spring, I re recall my mother saying to me, and let, me, and let me tell you, my family was the backbone of the church family. I'm not talking about just any random family. I'm talking about the family that was always there, and my parents were, were the elected leaders in the church. But, but this, this was true of our family's outlook and what my mother said after we had lost my father, and he, he died really young. She said, they say things work out for good for those who believe, but we'll just have to see. You know, and, 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 and that, was, that was an honest, honest comment of my mother's. That is how we as people of God, um, with, without that mooring and gratitude, and actually, that's how we feel some of the time. She was just being honest with me. How could she recover thankfulness? How is it possible to, in the, in the loss that she had experienced, recover thankfulness? And that is a challenge for all of us. But it, it, is, it is our challenge. Because it, out of, if we live out of that place of gratefulness, oh, our lives are transformed if we live out of that place. I purchased a plaque that I hung in my kitchen. And, the and it's a scripture verse, in everything, give thanks. Well, I've seen it at the farmer's market, but I haven't gotten the one for the opposite wall that says no whining. That's the one I need for my sons. I mean, I've got these sons who, who are used to getting everything. They've had everything they've needed. Their daddy and their mama have made sure they've had everything they needed. Oh, for the grace to be able to, to, first of all, see the blessings of life, to develop a habit of thankfulness, not just once a year, but all year and every day. It's not my intent today to send you away feeling guilty about not being grateful. It's my intent today to send you away thankful. Thankful 
for what God has been and means to you in your life. Gratitude is where true stewardship finds its beginning. One of my seminary professors advised me concerning giving that God doesn't need for me to give, but that I need to give. We need to give in order to grow as Christians. That's just a part of our own spiritual development. And for our gifts to be genuine, they need to overflow and not be calculated or out of a sense of duty. But the same way parents give to their children, out of abundance, out of willingness, out of love. We give not because we have to, but because we love God. And we're grateful for God for all of the riches of grace and love expressed toward us. And because we want to give back. For God so loved the world that, that he gave. And giving of what I have then is an act of trust. An act of trust that God's going to provide and meet my every need. God is able to give you more than you need, said Paul to the church at Corinth, so that you will always have all you need for yourselves and more than enough, more than enough for every good cause. It's much easier to trust in our savings accounts and our retirement accounts than it is for us to trust in God to provide what we need. Isn't it? We do that all the time. We do that in this culture. They can't do it in Cuba. That's how I know. I can tell you the big difference. They don't have it there. They trust God because they don't have retirement accounts and savings accounts. They trust God. That's the difference I've experienced there. I give because of gratitude. Thankful for what God's given to me and I share it with the world. I give because it's an important part of my spiritual growth and giving demonstrates that my, ultimately I trust God to take care of me who alone provides for all that I need. And I give to my local church because it's the embodiment of the presence of Christ in that community. And when and I give to the church and when you give to this church, our gifts together reach the world for Christ. And I've personally seen that happen as our gifts are combined with the 133 congregations that make up the Alliance of Baptists. I've seen it in Zimbabwe and in Cuba and in Brazil and Morocco. I've seen it with the newest offering that the Alliance has called Summer Communities of Service. We have service learning opportunities for young adults. Our giving, our collective giving, makes all kinds of ministry possible in the world. One way that my husband and I give is that my husband's a pharmacist. And uh, when I go to Cuba, I've been going since 1995, uh, they've learned that my husband is the guy who has the access to drugs. And so almost, you know, it's, it's just nothing uncommon for me to get handed prescriptions for people uh, for medications they can't get in Cuba. And, and Paul's very um, picky about the ones he'll fill because if it's a maintenance medication, one that you need, once you start, you need to keep taking, he doesn't like to send that down because if you start it and stop it, it could be dangerous for you health-wise. So the last time I was in Cuba, this pastor handed me two prescriptions from two women in his congregation. And he said, if you can't do it, it's okay, it's okay. But I, I took it home and Paul said, this is a maintenance medication. We, we shouldn't do this. But I said, will you please just look into it? Please just see well, you know, how much it costs. Because if you start it, you don't want to stop it. He was embarrassed when he found out the wholesale cost of this medication was pennies. Pennies a day. So we were able to buy a year's worth supply of this medication for these two women 
for less than $20 and send it to them for a year. And one of the women wrote me back and thanked me for her medication. And a friend of mine translated the letter that she wrote me because I can't speak Spanish. But what she said in this letter has stuck with me and it applies to all of life for me. She said, only the love of God shortens the distance between us. Only the love of God shortens the distance between my worry and my faith. You know, if the love of God can help shorten that distance, so I'm not going to worry about how, if I let go of this, am I going to be okay? Can God, will God take care of me? The love of God can shorten the distance between all kinds of things in our lives. The love of God can shorten that distance, and it has for me. And I trust that it can for you if you will let the love of God enter into your lives with gratefulness and thanksgiving and live your life every day out of that place of confidence and trust and hope and love. Then we have more than we need. We have more than enough to share to get God's work done in this world. During my service as a United Methodist pastor, I also became familiar with the rule of life of John Wesley. It's a great rule to live by, wise words, and I share them with you as my closing. Do all the good you can. By all the means you can. In all the ways that you can. All the times that you can. To all the people that you can. As long as as you ever can. Let it be so of you and of me, my brothers and sisters. Amen.